tonight. We thank you that we can open the Bible together and study it. We thank you that your word is living and powerful and it speaks to us. It moves upon our heart and your Holy Spirit uses it to convict us, to motivate us, to inspire us. God, we feel you already and I pray that as we study your word, we would feel you even more. So Lord, touch this time, anoint it with your spirit and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Sitting by the pool in this retirement community in Florida, a group of seniors were discussing all their ailments. My arms are so weak, I can barely lift up this cup of coffee, said one of the kapunas. Yes, I know, replied another. My cataracts are so bad, I can't even see my coffee. Well, then another senior piped in and complained and says, because of the arthritis in my neck, I can't even turn my head. Well, another Kapuna nodded and added, yeah, well, what about my blood pressure pills? They only make me dizzy all the time. Well, then one of the women smiled and she kind of had positive news. She replied and said, well, we should all be thankful to God that we can still do what matters most. Thank goodness we can all still drive. (laughs) Well, watch out when you drive over there, right? (laughs) Well, as we continue in our study through the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul shares in a very personal way on how he came to find what matters most. And that is his close relationship with God. And you know what? It all came about not because of what Paul had accomplished, nothing that he achieved, but because of what Jesus had done in salvation. So we find with Paul here in our passage that knowing Jesus is what matters most in life. And that's the title of our message tonight, What Matters Most in Life. We're going to be studying Philippians chapter 3 from verse 4 through 11. We stopped at verse 3 last time. We're going to pick it up, take this next section, Philippians 3 from verse 4 through 11. Now, we're going to see three things about what Paul shares here. And we're going to see these three things. Number one, my old trophies. Number two, my new totals. And number three, my set target. So I'll give those to you again as we uh, get to them as we go through this study. But let's begin. What matters most in life? Now he's going to first talk about, number one, my old trophies. My old trophies. So take a look here, Philippians chapter 3. Now in this first section, we're going to cover verses 4 through 6. But first of all, take a look at verse 4. Verse 4, it reads, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now we'll stop right there. We begin in verse 4 here with the word though, which actually connects and continues this idea that he had put out there at the end of verse 3, where if you look at verse 3, it says, put no confidence in the flesh. Now remember, as we ended uh, last time in this last verse, Paul's thought was that the believer's relationship with God is not blessed on works done in the flesh, like works done physically or, or certain efforts that we have made. But our confidence is on, is on the work of Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, who, who rose again from the dead, paid the price for our forgiveness, and now it's there we can have salvation. So remember we ended on that thought, so, so he doesn't put any confidence on these works. Now, if you missed that study, you can catch it on our podcast or on our webpage here. You can even catch it there on our live stream archive on our YouTube channel. But last week, the, our, our title was Tap Into the Joy, and we found that that's how Paul tapped into the joy, the joy of Jesus. So as we come into verse 4 here, Paul goes on. He says, though, basically, I have reason to put confidence in my own efforts. You know, don't put no confidence in the flesh. But you know, I, I actually have some reason to put confidence in my own efforts, in, in my flesh. And if anyone, he's saying, if anyone has any reason to rely on their own efforts, I have more at the end of verse 4, he says. Basically, Paul is saying, look, I've been down that road. If you think your own efforts, your own works, your own 
accomplishments will get you to God, get you close to God and be saved. Let me tell you right now, mine didn't. And, and so that's the idea here. Now, Paul is not bragging. The idea is this is a testimony of how his accomplishments did not get him close to God. It did not save him. It did not bring him into this relationship he has with, through Jesus with the Lord now. So Paul's going to bring up some very impressive achievements. And you know what it's like? It's like he's, he got this box and he brings this box out. And it's, it's this old box from the garage, right? And he starts to open it up. And inside is those dusty, rusty trophies of the past. So Paul's saying, look, let me, let me tell you. Let, let me show you what I've been through. Let me give you my testimony here. He says, look, look at my old Trophies, And that's what we're going to see here. That's our heading here. My old trophies. So this is what we're going to see here. And take a look at verse 5 and 6 as he pulls out these trophies. Verse 5 now. It says, circumcised on the eighth day of, uh, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Bedram, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So we'll stop there. So we're going to see here in these two verses, we actually see seven old trophies that he starts pulling out of his old box here. And the first thing he mentions, the first trophy he pulls out of the box and holds up is that he was circumcised the eighth day. That's what that trophy represents, circumcised the eighth day. The first thing we see in verse 5. Paul is saying that he is a true Jew from the beginning of his life, from the start. Remember, God had set apart the Jewish people from the Gentiles by that rite of circumcision. It was an outward symbol of their relationship with God, that they belonged to the Lord. And so as a Jew, that, that was like a, a, a badge. It was a medal. It was a trophy to say, hey, I was circumcised the eighth day after I was born. So Paul shows his trophy of his proper circumcision as per the Jewish laws. Now, I think this is important that he puts this up front. Because remember how the Judaizers, those false teachers who opposed Paul by teaching that even Gentiles, believers, they got to be circumcised. They got to become a Jew to be saved. Remember we talked about that, right? Well, Paul's saying, look, I know all about the importance of circumcision. I mean, for myself, as a baby, right at the eighth day when it was, it was officially properly supposed to be done, I was circumcised there according to the law. So he's, he says, look, I know about circumcision. I know what it's all about. I'm a pure Jew here. Second thing we see is that Paul is a pure-blooded Jew in the sense of, look at the second part of verse 5. It says, of the people of Israel. Paul is saying here that he was born to Jewish parents. Uh, he's a pure-blooded Jew. That's just, this is number two. This is the second trophy he pulls out, right? He was born to Jewish parents. He is not a Gentile con convert like some of the Gentiles would actually convert to Judaism. But Paul holds up this trophy and says, look, I'm, 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 I'm of pure Jewish race here. Now, if you think about it, this contrasts to Timothy. Remember, you had mentioned Timothy in the last chapter. And, and we know that Timothy was... Hapa Jewish. He was, he was half Jewish and half uh, a Gentile. In Acts 16.1, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So he's not like Timothy. No, he is pure blood Jew. So we see here, number one, he was circumcised the eighth day. Number two, he's pure-blooded Jew. And then here's the third trophy he's getting in his box and he pulls out. You know what he says? I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. This trophy shows that I'm, uh, it, it recognizes I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And that's what the, the next part in verse 5 says, of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul's saying he's, he's not only like a pure-blooded Jew by race, he also belongs to one of the most prominent tribes in Israel. Understand in Paul's day, 
a lot of the Jews, many of the Jews no longer knew what tribe they were from. I mean, many did, but many didn't because there was a lot of intermarriage with the tribes and all. And so thing, things weren't as clear cut. But Paul's saying, hey, me, I am a Benjamite. I, 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 my family stayed pure and I am from the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul shows this trophy of his heritage to the esteemed tribe of Benjamin. Now, the tribe of Benjamin was, was a sm- the smaller of all the 12 tribes of Israel. Interesting is that Benjamin, the son of Jacob and Rachel, if you remember back in Genesis, he was actually born in the area of the future promised land near Bethel or Bethlehem. He was the only one of the sons that was born basically in the promised land before they went there, but he was born there. So that made him special in that way. Later, the holy city of Jerusalem became part of Benjamin's territory. Remember in Joshua when, the, when all the 12 tribes were allotted uh, uh, portions of land? Well, part of Jerusalem was, was, uh, Jerusalem was part of Benjamin's territory. The first king of Israel, Saul, King Saul, was from the tribe of Benjamin. And you know what? When the nation of Israel split, right, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they called Judah. But it wasn't just Judah. Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, stayed loyal to David's dynasty and the tribe of Judah. So ben, the tribe of Benjamin was real special. It, it, it was esteemed. If, I don't know if you remember when the crisis came up in the book of Esther, when that edict went out and Haman wanted to kill all the Jews and all. Did you know that Mordecai and Esther were from the, the tribe of Benjamin and God used them to save the Jews? So back then, to be actually from the tribe of Benjamin put Paul up on this high status of the ladder. So next we see Paul brings up another trophy, and that's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Look at verse 5 again. He says that exactly. You know what I am? A Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul is saying that he was raised in a home that adhered to the strict Hebrew traditions and rituals. Paul is actually from Tarsus. Uh, many of you in our studies, we know that, right? But Tarsus is outside of the land of Israel, from home. It was at, it's actually in our modern day of Turkey, in, in that country. So even though Paul and his parents were, were living in Tarsus, a city outside of Israel, you know what? Paul grew up learning not just the spoken language of Aramaic or the written language of Greek, but he learned to write and speak Hebrew. He stuck with his heritage, being a Jewish person in this Jewish family. So Paul takes this tro- trophy out. Look, Hebrews of Hebrews. And he holds his trophy of how he grew up in the whole Hebrew heritage. You know, I was thinking about that. It reminded me how I grew up Japanese, basically, uh, my parents immigrated from Japan, and everything we did was the Japanese way, you know. Uh, but we were living in America. We ate Japanese food every night. We, my mother and dad spoke Japanese to each other. I, I heard them speak Japanese to me, but when I went to school, I spoke English back. I broke my heritage. Sorry, Mom, Dad. But I even went to Japanese school on Saturdays and learned uh, just the basic alphabets, the three or two basic alphabets and, and, and to learn to read a little bit. Well, I, I think about how Paul did that and even more. I mean, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was, he was steeped into his Hebrew heritage. So you see his trophies here. He at first, he pulls up circumcised the eighth day. He goes in his box, he brings up pure-blooded Jew, right? He, he goes into his old box, brings up another dusty trophy from the tribe of Benjamin. And then he brings up another trophy, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he brings up a fifth trophy now, and this is Pharisee. This, the, he goes in his box, brings up the trophy, and this is Pharisee, expert on the law. Now look at the end of verse 5. It says, as to the law, a Pharisee. Paul is saying he, basically he reached the highest level a Jewish man could achieve, and that is to become a Pharisee. 
The name Pharisee actually means separated, and through history, these guys got this name because they, they were totally into the Word. They were totally into separating themselves to serve God only. These guys were the elite scholars. These guys were the elite theologians. These guys were these priests and these religious leaders. That they were, they were up there in the highest es- spiritual echelon, if you can say. They were experts on the law of God. Uh, they were experts on religious tradition. They knew it all. And you know what? They held the highest spiritual status in Israel. Well, Paul here, he says, Pharisee. I'm Pharisee. The law, hey, I knew it. He was an expert. He was not only, listen, a son of a Pharisee, but he, he grew up. And he went to school, became this rabbi, became a Pharisee. You know, he was schooled and trained under the famous rabbi, Gamaliel. And so everyone knew him. So he was like, not just trained as a Pharisee, but he was schooled and discipled under the, the, one of the most well-known uh, 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 Pharisees also. So Paul holds up this trophy like, like this, I tell you what, this, this, is, this is like his doctorate. You know, this is like his degree, and, and maybe you can even say this one trophy of being a Pharisee, expert on the law, is actually like 10 degrees in one. Well, the sixth trophy he pulls up now is MVP for most holy zeal, kind of bringing in a little sports analogy. In verse 6, you can see here it says, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul is saying he was so zealous to defend God's honor. He went as far as uh, hating those he believed did things against his God. That was Paul. And he was like MVP MVP for, for having the most holy zeal for the Lord. He actually became a persecutor of the church in this misguided zeal. So Paul like probably holds this trophy, but maybe not as high as the others. Maybe he's more shame about that because he actually persecuted Christians of whom he became one later when God stopped them on that road in Damascus and spoke to him, say, hey, why, why are you persecuting my, my guys here? And so he's probably a little more shamed about that, but this was how, how much zeal he had for the honor of God. We know how in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Paul gave consent to the stoning of Stephen. He was the first martyr for Jesus. We know in that same chapter, in verse 3, it says Saul, or Paul, um, is his like Christian name, but Saul, his, his name before was, it says in Acts 8, 3, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That's how radical and crazy Paul was. That's his zeal, his holy zeal for to honor God in what he thought he was doing because he thought these Christians were bringing heresy and dishonoring God. In Acts 22, 4, Paul in his testimony says, I persecuted this way, meaning the, the, the Christian uh, belief, the way meaning of following Jesus. I persecuted this way to the death. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women. So that's how serious he was. And, and this trophy, as a Jew, as a Pharisee, that was, that was incredible. And he had that MVP for holy zeal. So we see these trophies. One, he was circumcised the eighth day. Number two, pure-blooded Jew. The third trophy, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Another trophy, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Then he pulled out a Pharisee, expert on the law. He, he, he got the highest degree that, that anyone can have. He, he, he had that trophy, the MVP for most holy zeal. And then the last trophy, he holds up and pulls out at the bottom of this box. as This old dusty trophy comes out. This trophy is for the Pharisee Hall of Fame. Look at verse 6. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul is saying as far as following the Jewish laws and customs, he was blameless. It doesn't mean he was sinless, but if there was any Jew who could be humanly perfect as possible, you know who it was? It was Paul. Paul held that trophy. Paul was given the Pharisee Hall. He got into the Pharisee Hall of Fame. Paul pulls out this trophy as, as to his Jewish works that he was head and shoulders above others. John MacArthur wrote, 
by all outward appearances, Paul was to the people who knew him a model Jew who lived by the Jewish law. This is Paul. Now we get this picture of who he, who, who he was right before he came to Christ. Here's Paul with his old trophies, his box of old trophies, circumcised the eighth day, pure-blooded Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee, expert of the law, MVP for most holy Jew, Pharisee, hall of fame he was inducted into. But like all dusty and rusty and old forgotten trophies, they were just sitting in this old box in his garage, so to speak. So here's what Paul is saying here. This is the point. Though great and impressive as they might have been, my past achievements don't matter that much anymore. That's what he's saying. Though great and impressive as they might have been, my past achievements, they don't, they don't really matter much anymore. I mean, he could have pulled this out right away. He could, have, he could have used this in every church he went to, but he didn't. They didn't. They might have been great. They might have been impressive. But, you know, these past trophies, they really don't matter much anymore. Why is that? Well, we're going to find out in this next section. But for Paul right now, they're in this dusty old box. Just think about it this way. These trophies, my old trophies, that's what he's sharing with us right here. You know, I was thinking about how my first medal, maybe it was about this big, had a little ribbon on it. And I, I, I think I got second or third place. I can't remember in a race. I had a swim meet. It was round. It was, it was pewter. It wasn't like silver, but it had that little ribbon. And, and it was special. That was like my first medal I ever got. And I was so excited. I hung it on my wall in front of my desk, you know. And, and as I got more and little things, I stuck it around there. And, and, and it was like, oh, look at, look at, you know. They were so important. It was so special. I, I hung it there. It was in this prominent place. But you know what, today, I'm not sure where they are. <laughs> it might be in an old, this plastic bin in the garage, I think, where we have some keepsakes. Or I don't know, I, I, I was trying to remember today, maybe when we cleaned up one, one time, I had just thrown them away, you know, a while back. Well, that's like Paul, you know, these things that, that yeah, they're great, they're great things, but you know what, I, I, don't, I don't know. I can talk about it, but, you know, I don't really talk about them. I, it, it doesn't matter that much to me anymore. That's Paul saying. Things have changed. That's what he's saying. God has changed that in his life. He has no confidence in those things anymore. They were great. He's not putting them down. And I don't think that, that, that we're saying that those are really bad things. But they aren't that good in light of Christ. You know, I was thinking of how we in this crisis we're in with this coronavirus and and what's happening today is nothing like we've ever experienced before it's unprecedented right we're in unprecedented times it's 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 it, it, it's the whole world is to being turned upside down i was just talking to someone today where you know at first we we're thinking oh it's in this other country oh it's way far away but you know it's hitting our own island now we see it going around in our whole nation so so it's like Wow, whoa, it, it's really, you know, heavy and moving upon us all. But I tell you, it's during times like this, you start to think about what really matters the most, right? I mean, suddenly material things don't seem to matter as much. I mean, what, what matters is staying healthy, not getting sick, having food, shelter, a place to stay, enough to survive. I mean, those things are on our minds more than, well, you know, uh, uh, how, how, how nice our car is or all these nice things we have. You know, I believe during these times, God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to get, our, get us to think about what really matters. You know, all these past accomplishments and achievements, that's great. That's great. But perhaps they've gotten more higher in your mind than Jesus is. Perhaps maybe... You know, there's, there, there, there's things that have been distracting you. And God's trying to get your attention back to what really matters. And, and I think he's using this virus to bring us into that place. I mean, think about what, what, what this crisis, what this circumstance we're in does, right? Maybe perhaps you're sitting there and, and you've lost your job. And, and perhaps it's, it, it's your career and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're at a loss to, of who you are and what to do. I mean... Without that there, what, what do you do? We, we tend to seek God and call out to Him. 
Perhaps staying home now, not being able to go out, we start getting bored, or, or you know, perhaps that God's trying to get our attention, like, hey, how about me? Hey, I'm here. Perhaps everything that matters most to you is now in jeopardy. Perhaps you feel you are about to lose everything that matters to you right now. Listen, first of all, God will get you through. He's going to get, get us through. As we cling to him, as we go to him, he's going to help us. But perhaps, with all this going on, perhaps it's time to rethink what really matters most in life. Paul is saying, look, I, I once held these trophies as what matters, but now uh, they're just in this box. Though great and impressive as they may have been, my past achievements don't matter that much anymore. And you know what? He found something else. And that's what we're going to see next. Let's go on to number two, my new totals, my new totals. What matters most in life, and he's showing, well, it wasn't so much my old trophies, but look now, my new totals. Take a look here now, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to cover verses 7 through 9 in this section, but take a look at verse 7 first. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, oh wait, we'll stop there. We'll stop right at verse 7. For the sake of Christ. Paul writes, but whatever gain, like these trophies gave him, once he met Jesus, basically, they were all lost next to the salvation that he found in God, next to what Jesus had brought into his life. Now, the words gain and loss, they're, they're really, even in the Greek, are accounting terms. In one column, think about it, you know, he, there's an accounting sheet. In one column, he put those achievements, the seven trophies. In the second column, he puts what comes with Jesus. So what was gain, what added up to a lot in the past, was now nothing. It turned out, crossed out into being zero compared to what Jesus brings into your life so seeing this new bottom line here look at verse 8 now now we can go to verse 8 indeed i count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord for his sake i have suffered the loss of all things count them as rubbish in order that i may gain christ and we'll stop right there paul now sees that everything not just his trophies, but any of his efforts, everything else in his life, are, are lost, really. They're, they're, they, like, come to nothing. For comparing to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, they're nothing. That's what he's saying here. Knowing here, where it says knowing Christ Jesus, it's a Greek word, gnosis, uh, or gnosis, some people say, but... It, 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 means by, it means knowing someone by personal experience. So when he talks about knowing Jesus, it's not just knowing about someone, but it's actually knowing them because you have a relationship with them. See, Paul found to actually know God in this close relationship, and that's what I'm going to call it, to know God, knowing God, gnosis is about having this personal close relationship. Well, Paul found that that close relationship was way more of value than any of these other trophies that were in this column. You know, it's like how, you know, I may know, you know, I was watching the mayor, right, on some of his updates for Maui on the virus and what was going on. And, and, and you know, I think I might have met the mayor once at, at a, I did a prayer at an upcountry a little league game, and I think one or two times he was there, and I did, he spoke, I did a prayer, and all. I might have met him just one, but, I, but I, I only know about him, yeah. I don't really know, know him. It's, a, it's a, a way different thing when you know the mayor, like through a relationship, your friend, or you see him plenty, or, or like your, your, your family or a neighbor that, that lives next to him. Well, that's what Paul is saying. You know what, once you get to know, know Jesus, your profit column here with all your trophies and all and everything turns to zero, next to nothing. Because on this uh, next column, next to Jesus, he becomes everything. And this becomes more valuable, more gain than any of this stuff over here. 
So then Paul says this, For his sake I have suffered, in the middle of verse 8, I have suffered the loss of all things. In other words, I, since I found so much in Jesus, all what, what I thought was, was valuable, I, I, I tossed. It was nothing, even if I suffered for knowing Jesus. What are you saying? Christ is worth it all. Think about it, right? Paul is in jail for his faith right now. He could face death right now. He's waiting to uh, he, uh, appeal to Caesar in a hearing. So he's in jail right now, waiting. You know? And so he's saying, you know what? When, when, when Jesus saved me, I put aside being a Pharisee. I put aside all these things. And even in jail, being pers- persecuted for believing in Jesus, it's worth it all for knowing Jesus. Jesus even outweighs all the hard times and circumstances. Matter of fact, all these things, and look what he says here in verse 8, Paul counts as rubbish. Now, the word rubbish here is actually the Greek word for dung or manure. So compared, all these things, compared to being in a close relationship with Jesus, his past trophies, and even suffering for Jesus, they are all what I would just flush down the toilet. That's what he's saying. If it means that I gain Christ, hey, I, I want to get more of Jesus in my life. Then, I don't know, if it means I just flush this and get rid of this then, and I get more of Jesus, that's what I want. So you see what Paul is saying. What matters most in life, our title, is knowing Jesus. It's being close to God. One commentator, Stephen Runge, writes, uh, one of the guys I, I read, he wrote, All the things that we hold dear should be considered just as valuable as a bag of feces. He said this. In comparison to the value of knowing Christ. Do you understand what we're seeing here? Do you understand what Paul is write, writing here in the Word? How important to him and how valuable, how everything is in knowing Jesus and everything else. If once you compare, it's like dung. It's like manure. Well, verse nine. Then he says, "And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith." So Paul adds here in verse nine. Additionally, he shares that he also found that in uh, he found being a Jew that followed the law to a T, that didn't bring any righteousness of his own. It didn't make him right with God. He, he couldn't get to that place. It was, it, no matter what he did, it couldn't get all his trophies in a box, everything he acquired, he could not attain a righteous standing before the holy God. It's what he longed for. It was only when he believed in the work of Christ and how he died on the cross, rose again from the dead, how he died to pay the price for our sins, our penalty, that he could get forgiveness. And it was through faith in Christ and what he did and believing in what Christ did that the righteousness of God was given to him. You see, he couldn't become righteous. So when Jesus died on the cross, made a way for us to come to God and be forgiven, then the righteousness of Christ was given to us. The word is imputed upon us, transferred, put upon us. So not only did Paul find this relationship with God through Jesus, he found what every Pharisee had been searching for, to be holy and right before God. That, that was their whole effort and everything they did in trying to follow the law, having a zeal to honor God, all of that. Well, the only righteousness that gives you that right standing with God is in Jesus. The only righteousness that assures your place in heaven has to come from God himself. And that's what Jesus gives you, imputed Righteousness. I know that, that that's the theological word, but you know what it means? It means his righteousness is put into your account. That it's it's actually a accounting term. It's transferred. His righteousness is transferred into transferred into your banking account because you were lang- lacking there. So no one can be saved by your own works. That's why. Paul writes in Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fallen fallen short 
of the glory of God. Like we're all sinners here. No matter all any good works that we try and do, it's tainted with that sin, and that one sin keeps us out of heaven. We can try to atone for our sins by doing these works, getting these trophies, but they cannot cover all of our sins. So that's why Jesus came, atoned for our sins on the cross. So now when we believe in him, put our trust in his provision, we can be forgiven. That burden of guilt can be lifted. And you know what? You can be made right with God because Jesus gives you his righteousness. And now when the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees his righteousness. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, Paul puts out here my achievement column. That wasn't too bad, but I still had sin. But when, when I came to Jesus, I found, you know what, everything here actually totaled up to zero. So this is now my new totals in that I have everything to gain everything here in Jesus Christ. So my new totals are heading here. Paul shows his accounting here with the trophies column. Impressive, not too bad, seven en- entries. But on this side, you know, it's all, com- this trophy side, it's all nothing compared to what's on this side. Line one of the Jesus side is that, hey, we can have a personal relationship with him. But the eternal loving God can be involved in our life. The God, the creator of the universe can be in- involved in our life. And that's huge, right? Line two on this side, on the Jesus column, is we have this because Jesus did all the work in salvation. So we don't have to try to be good. We don't have to atone for our own sins. We just rely on Jesus. So really, everything here on the Jesus column wipes out everything on the other column. So here's what Paul is saying. What I thought was so valuable turned out to be nothing compared to having a close relationship with Jesus. That's really the, 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 the point here. What I thought was so valuable turned out to be nothing compared to having a close relationship with Jesus. That's where it's at. That's where we want to be. And, and I know, you know, if, if, if you're joining in and connecting here, maybe the first time or you started to listen in, and, 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 and maybe God has been touching your heart. God's been reaching out to you, and, and with everything going on, you're reaching out to God. Know this, that you can have that close relationship with Jesus, that all this, everything that you've done, yeah, that's great, but when you put it next to Jesus, it's nothing compared to knowing Jesus, and I know you, you feel that in your heart. God has put that in all of our hearts to want to be close with God, to have this relationship, and now is the time to have that and give your life to Christ. Look, Paul is saying what I thought was so valuable turned out to be nothing compared to having that close relationship with Jesus. That's where it's at. This direct line to Jesus. I read about this chief rabbi from Israel and and the Pope were meeting in Rome. The rabbi notices this fancy red phone on his side table in the Pope's private chambers. This is a little bit of a joke. Uh, What's that phone for, asked, asked, asked the, the rabbi. Well, the, the Pope said, it's my direct line to the Lord. Well, the rabbi was kind of skeptical, and the Pope notices it and goes, here, try it. Try it out. Give God a call. So the rabbi picks up the phone, connects with God, and he starts talking to God. He starts talking to God for a little while, and it, uh, and it went a long time, too. Then after hanging up the phone, the rabbi says, well, hey, Thank you so much, Pope. This is great. I, I, I love this. This was a great time to talk to God. And the Pope says, well, I'm sorry to ask you, but I need $100 because it was actually a long-distance call, and that was the charges. You know, you talk so long. And the rabbi says, oh, yeah, no problem, no problem. So he, so he pays, you know, the 100 bucks, and he says, it's all worth it. Well, a few months later, the Pope is now in Jerusalem. He's on an official visit. And he's there with the chief rabbi. And, and they're in the chief rabbi's chambers. And he sees a red phone there, too, identical to the one that he saw, that he has in his office. So he sees the rabbi's red phone, and he learns that, oh, that's a direct line to the Lord also. 
And then the Pope remembers he has an urgent matter that he needs to consult with God with. So he asks if he could use the rabbi's phone. Oh, yeah, sure, use the phone. Go ahead, go ahead. So, so the Pope makes his call, chats away, and after hanging up, the Pope then, oh, well, you know, I know you paid for the long-distance charges. So here, let, let, let me pay for the charges and, and just let me know what it is. I'll pay whatever it is. And the rabbi says, no worries. There's no charge. And the Pope is surprised, like, what? No charge. Why, why is it free for you? The rabbi smiles and says, local call. <laughs> I got to laugh over you. <laughs> well, here's the thing. With Jesus, Paul's found out these Jewish rituals and laws, they don't get that connection like he has now in Jesus. With Jesus, it's direct action. Access. You can say it's like a local call. Listen, the rituals and the traditions and the laws that they did to try and, and get close to God and get salvation, it was, it was just a religion, basically. But now Paul sees a relationship. So, listen, knowing this, let's seek God like never before during this time. I mean, with this coronavirus affecting our lives, we've got to stay at home more. Um, you know, the next week and this month is going to be critical for our island, for our nation. And, and God's grabbing our attention on this. Well, you know what? Let's take the opportunity where the normal distractions of life are, are, are at a stop. And maybe we can hear God clear. And maybe we can hear him calling and reaching out to us. And we need to take advantage of that. We need to work on our relationship with them, cultivate that relationship. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe these past years or so, you haven't been connecting like you should in your relationship with God. Maybe you haven't found that, you know, on this side of the column where Jesus is, that's everything. Maybe you've been looking more in, in, in amassing your, your trophies and getting more. But I'll tell you, once you look at this column to see what it is with the Jesus column, once you see who he is, what he means to us, once you, once you see how it, how it fulfills that emptiness and, and gives you that contentment that you are trying to find it over here in these trophies, you know, you'll see what Paul is saying. That compared to Jesus, these things, are, they're like nothing. So take that time and cultivate your relationship with the Lord, like never before. And I guarantee you, as you seek God, as you find God's presence in your, your time within, you know what? You're, you're going to find peace like never before. You're going to find this, this, this uh, peace that passes all understanding in the midst of this craziness. And when you start to feel the panic and fear and you go run to Him, pray again, you feel His presence and you feel that closeness. And, and all of a sudden, you're okay. That's what Paul's talking about. So take time and even lay aside even distractions that, that perhaps, you know, TV, social media, things like that, that you're trying to fill your time with. You know, put that aside for a moment. Put that aside for a while. Go to Jesus, and I guarantee you guys will find Jesus worth it all. Jim Elliott famously said, He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me tell you, get Jesus into your heart and your life. Cultivate that relationship. Get close and you know, close to him. And you know what? You won't lose him and he won't lose you. All right, let's go on here. Our last heading uh, quickly. Number three, my set target. What matters most in life, Paul talks about his old trophies, not anymore those things. Number two, my new totals. He sees now what matters most in his life now is Jesus. And now Jesus is his set target. So number three, my set target. Philippians chapter three, the last two verses here. It reads here in verse, well, last two verses of our study. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay, Paul says that this is what matters most to him. It's what he's found to be so valuable. His goal in life is that I may know him. And again, that word, gnosis, it's, it's about, 
having a personal, real experience with God. And not only that, but to know or experience, what does he say here? The power of his resurrection in verse 10. To experience that power in his life. That's that power that raised Jesus up from the dead. And that power is now in work inside Paul. He can now live a victorious life over his flesh, over sin. You know what? Through Jesus Christ. Paul has found the secret to not being overcome by sin, not overcome by evil, not overcome by his emotions of fear and panic in his crisis and circumstances. And how's that? By the power of Christ, of the resurrection in him. See, with this close relationship with Jesus, he can experience and connect to that power. So with that relationship comes the power of God. You know, right, in my, right away in my mind comes to the, the song, The Same Power by Jeremy Kemp. And I, and I want you to just close your eyes. I'm going to read the words. And I want you to just soak this in. The lyrics of this song, the first verse says, I can see waters raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road. I can face every fear of the unknown. I can hear all God's children singing out. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. And then the chorus. Listen now. Close your eyes. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea, lives in us, lives in us. He lives in us, lives in us. You can open your eyes. Isn't that wonderful? I hope that encourages you tonight. All right, let's wrap it up. Then Paul says in verse 10 that he is willing to, uh, to sh- willing to share his suffering, share in Christ's sufferings, like becoming him becoming like him in his death. In other words, Paul is willing to suffer and even die for Jesus, to follow Jesus into death. And it is in those hard circumstances that Paul is saying, I experienced that resurrection power working in my life. And when he writes that by any means possible, or in one way or another, whether I I go through this or whether I die, I know I will attain the resurrection. And if I die from the dead, I will be with Jesus and gain my resurrection body in the end. That's what he's saying. So if I live, I'll experience Jesus' power in my life. If I die, I'm going to be resurrected and still experience that power. So with that kind of outlook, nothing can stop Paul. With that kind of outlook, think about this. Nothing can steal his joy. No wonder he starts this section here, this chapter, right? In verse 1 saying, rejoice in the Lord. You remember that from last week? When you have a strong relationship with Jesus, when you're connected to the power to overcome, you can have joy. And this is what matters now. This is his priority. This is for Paul, my set target. No wonder Warren Wiersbe wrote, maybe now is a good time for you to become an accountant and evaluate in your life the things that matter. All of this, what Paul is saying is so important. And here's our last point. Paul is saying, my main priority now is to know Jesus more intimately and experience the power of God moving in my life. My main priority now is to know Jesus more intimately and experience the power of God moving in my life. You know, someone has calculated how a typical lifetime of 70 years, we end up spending a total of 23 years sleeping That's the most, you know, sleeping, right? Well, we need it. Eight years watching TV. Six years eating. Some people have more years than that. Uh, Five years waiting in line. Two years dressing. Eight months opening junk mail. Six months sitting at stoplights. And then lastly, only six months seeking God. How sad is that? Out of everything... Six months, the, 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 the least amount of time is seeking God on average. You know what? If someone were to calculate Paul's time, I think seeking God would be even above sleeping, right? It would be the most. Because that's his passion. That's his set target. Listen, 
You're not alone. God is here to help you. But many times we go into our day bypassing him. We wonder why we worry and we get all worked up and why we get overwhelmed with the situation. Well, you know why we lose our peace so easily? Because we don't connect to God like how we should at the first break of dawn there. We need to go to God first thing. God wants to connect with us. He wants us to cultivate his relationship with them so that there is power in our lives, that resurrection power, so we can find peace in, in, in the worst of times, so we can have joy even though we're going through, so, so that we can get through with Him. God is calling out to you tonight. I'll close with this quote. When Christian writer and director of the faculty ministries for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, uh, when he was first going into ministry, Charles E. Hommel uh, 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 was, t- was first going into ministry, a businessman gave him this excellent piece of advice by saying, be careful that the urgent doesn't crowd out the important. Don't let your day, don't let the things in your day, don't let your fear, don't let the news, don't let the TV crowd out what's important, and that's Jesus. Don't neglect what should be the most important person in in your life. Don't neglect his word. Get that two-year reading Bible plan. Don't neglect prayer. Don't neglect spending that time connecting to God in his presence. And keep Jesus then what matters most in life. Let's pray. Lord, as we close out, Lord, this service uh, before we worship you, God, we come to you in prayer. And I ask God that as you've been speaking to all of our hearts, that we would make a commitment right now to to spend more time with you, to spend more time regularly more than ever. If, if we regularly spend 10 minutes in your word and prayer, may we double that to 20 minutes. If we regularly spend 30 minutes in your word and prayer, may we double that to one hour. I pray that we will cultivate our relationship more and more and get closer to you and deeper than you than ever. And may we see now, may we find and experience in our own lives how wonderful it is, how more valuable it is than anything else is our re- my relationship, our relationship with you, God. So, God, I ask that as we commit to you, every one of us right now, we commit, Lord. We surrender to you and we say, God, we are going to make a priority in, in my relationship to you, our relationship to you. Lord, as we do that, may you help us, God. When we're battling distractions and when we don't feel like waking up or, we, or maybe we fall asleep or maybe when we're struggling here and there, God, may you help us. And by your Holy Spirit power, God, may we really move forward in our relationship with you. And I pray for anyone right now who has never received you, who are hearing these words and you're speaking to them and they want you. They know that you are the one that's been missing in their life. God, may they pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe in you as my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me now. Cleanse me. Fill me with your spirit. Give me new life as I surrender my life and accept you into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.